Hello and welcome to shipwreckpodcast.com with my sincere apology for not having new content for a while. Be assured I've spent the last few months researching above and below the Great Lakes for stories that I find captivating. There have been many discoveries and I have a few thousand shipwrecks to highlight, so my hope is to bring you new podcasts into the next year. Today I'm aboard the cruise ship Le Belote, where Gohagen Travel has selected me to share stories from the inland seas as we visit all five Great Lakes, beginning in Lake Ontario. As you know, you can't simply sail from this lake to Lake Erie as there's a fantastic waterfall on the Niagara River that you may have heard about. The origin of the name Niagara is still contested, but many historians point to the Iroquois word Anguiera, which describes not only the thundering waters at the cataract, but also the rapidly moving strait that connects the two lakes. Father Louis Hennepin is apparently the first to write about the falls in December of 1678, publishing his voyages in a book titled A New Discovery of a Vast Country in America. In chapter 7, he scribes, Betwixt the Lake Ontario and Erie, there is a vast and prodigious cadence of water which falls down after a surprising and astonishing manner, insomuch that the universe does not afford its parallel. It is so rapid above this descent that wild beasts, while endeavoring to pass, cast them down headlong above 600 foot. Hennepin said the water made an outrageous noise, more terrible than that of thunder, that could be heard from 15 leagues off. That would be some 45 miles away. It was obvious that for any ship to travel the upper Great Lakes would need to be built above this cataract where LaSalle commissioned Le Griffin to be built in 1679. Historians argue over the exact spot this ship was constructed, but many believe it was in Cayuga Creek, about six miles upstream from the thundering waters of Niagara Falls. One of the earliest color images of the falls was painted in 1762, and travelogue descriptions in newspapers show up around that same time period. In 1768, a reporter wrote, it is like enchantment, the rushing vast waters terrify the mind, and advertisements for stagecoach rides to this natural curiosity were announced three times a week, beginning in the fall of 1816. Hotels quickly followed and so did the railroad, and one newspaper quipped that the first words out of children born at Niagara were the calls for showing tourists around for a quarter. In 1827, a bridge spanned the river to Goat Island. Now tourists could get even closer to the precipice, out to rocks that looked like turtles on what was dubbed Terrapin Point. That same year, Nicholas Biddle financed 90 metal steps to the bottom of the gorge, a hexagonal-shaped wooden shelter covering the 80-foot span with viewing portals to provide a close look at the falls. Stuntman Sam Patch used Biddle's staircase to high-dive from 97 feet into the falls in 1829, the first of what would be nearly two centuries of daredevils to bring attention to Niagara. In 1833, Terrapin Tower was built off Goat Island, a unique lighthouse-looking structure that provided a 40-foot aerial view for a dime, but it was undermined by current over the next 50 years. Plans were made for a new tower, and the structure was destroyed by explosives on May 17, 1873, but it was never rebuilt. Four years later, New York State allocated monies for a suspension bridge over the river, and the U.S. Congress started talks of a Niagara ship canal around the falls to open sea traffic to the upper Great Lakes. Joseph Ingraham's discovery of a shallow cave behind Bridalvale Falls brought another attraction in 1841. K. 
Cave of the Winds was eventually charging a dollar in 1879, but erosion made it too dangerous by 1955. Today, a new tour is based from Goat Island with the same name. The United States and Canada were connected in 1855 with the world's first railway suspension bridge. 250 feet above the river, the span was 825 feet long and about two miles downstream from the falls. The carriage track was suspended 28 feet below the rail line that was hung from 88-foot towers. The weight was carried by 4,000 miles of 10-inch wire. Originally costing a half million dollars, the wooden parts were replaced by steel in 1886. Samuel Keffer built one of the earliest observation platforms in 1867. The platforms were built of foot-thick pine timbers grouped together for the support of the main platform. A steam-powered elevator brought tourists to the top, a promenade deck on the roof of the tower. For more daring tourists, a boat cruise originated to soak guests within the spray of the falls. Made of the Mist started this as early as 1846, and today two companies provide the 20-minute ride to the Cascades on the American and Canadian sides. Millions of tourists see the falls from boats, but by far the most popular place to see them is topside, and few places were more visited or romanticized than Table Rock. Table Rock was the original place to get a great view of the majesty of Niagara Falls, but the slow erosion of the cliff here led to several collapses, including 1818 and when a buggy went over the edge in 1850. It was home to a hotel and a museum, but more rock gave way in 1876 and 1897. The area was finally roped off as dangerous with a two-inch crack in 1934, and the remains of Table Rock were blasted using 14,000 pounds of explosives. These explosions were just the continuation of a rumble that had been heard at Niagara since the end of the 19th century. Blasting allowed for intakes that guided these powerful waters down to turbines to generate electricity. By 1896, Niagara was powering one-fifth of the United States' energy. Gravity does much of the work to turn turbines deep underground, with diverters guiding the rapids to deep pits through a race tunnel. In 1895, this was the first large-scale alternating current plant in the world, providing electricity to Buffalo that next year. Canada's Niagara Parks Power Station operated between 1905 and 2006, and since 2021, visitors can follow the journey that the Niagara River once took for a century. A glass elevator goes down six levels to reach the tunnel, which once served as the exit point for the spent water out of the plant. It took thousands of workers four years blasting and digging the subterranean tunnel, which measures 26 feet tall and nearly 20 feet wide. It's reinforced with four layers of brick and 18 inches of concrete. In 2009, a new modern electric plant took the place of Niagara Park about five miles away. And incredibly, tunnels transport the current from the falls. Water from the Welland River augments the Niagara at the Sir Adam Beck plant. On the American side, the massive cement walls of the Robert Moses and Lewiston pump generating plant spin up 2.4 million kilowatts of power. The old Niagara Parks Power Station is the best place to view the most famous shipwreck at Niagara. The old scow from Great Lakes Dredge and Dock broke loose from its tug and two men were evacuated by breaches buoy in 1918. It snagged just upstream for nearly a hundred years and in 2019 spun around and headed closer to the falls. 
Also near here is the keel of the subchaser Sunbeam, lost in 1923. The scow won't be the first ship to pass over the falls, and it certainly won't be the most newsworthy. An international incident occurred here after Christmas 1837 when a tavern was selected for an insurrection against the British government. William Mackenzie hoped Canada would be independent, saying military despots from Europe were dictating life in Toronto. British forces moved on the rebels and they escaped to Navy Island here at Niagara Falls. An American schooner was accused of supplying explosives to Mackenzie. It was set afire and cut loose to go over Niagara Falls. The captain of the Caroline believed a dozen people were aboard as it plunged 600 feet to the rocks below. But history would only record one man lost in the fight. Mackenzie himself escaped to Buffalo. In 1841, the warship HMS Detroit was sent over the falls after preservationists failed to refit her. In 1874, the schooner Michigan was bought by a hotel owner and Terrapin Tower builder General Parkhurst Whitney. It was loaded full of animals, including two bears, and sent over the falls. The bears and some geese escaped to shore. 10,000 gawkers watched as the rest were lost to the thundering mist. The ultimate power of the falls have been used in many horrible ways, and this is certainly true of suicides. Over 5,000 people are estimated to have ended their lives here, and some use the falls to simply disappear. One of the most infamous was an 1849 suicide note found at the Eagle Hotel from Mrs. Isabella Miller. I have no wish to live any longer. Please take care of my little boys till they can be sent to Detroit, where their grandparents reside. Near the letters was a silk purse with her wedding ring and some gold coins inside. Many believe Mrs. Miller eloped with a friend, and she placed a shawl and bonnet on the bridge to convey the impression she had jumped. She was seen by one person hopping a train and was arrested in Syracuse some days later. Only a handful of victims are normally recovered after these tragedies, but a jump on June 11, 1969 was easily discovered. The man vanished into the mist wearing a green plaid shirt and green pants, but the next day the water was turned off. The Army Corps of Engineers built a 600-foot dam that redirected the water to the Canadian side of the falls, a plan to ascertain erosion damage and the possible cleanup of several tons of unsightly rocks at the bottom of the falls. Two victims were discovered at the bottom and recovered as hundreds of thousands of tourists had a chance to view the American side of Niagara without its waterfall. Six months later, the dam was removed and the waterfall restored, the cost of cleaning up the rock debris too much to bear. The most televised event at Niagara Falls was in 2012 when ABC television paid Nick Walenda to cross at the brink of the falls. 10 million viewers tuned in as he walked a two-inch wire to the other side. It was the highest viewing ABC had in five years. The tradition of high wire acts at the falls included Spelterini, the first lady to do so in 1876. She was followed by Bay City, Michigan's Anna Taylor, who went over the falls in a barrel in 1901. But the most famous was the amazing Blondin, who was the first to cross the turbid waters in 1858. He did so again in 1859 and secured his place in history by strapping a camera on his back and returning to the United States on a rope, but stopping to take a picture of the crowd along the way. By 1896, he had done 300 variations, including night crossings, backwards walking, cooking breakfast on a lit stove he carried, and even transporting a man across the gorge on his back. 
Geologically, there will be a time when stunts can no longer be performed at the falls. That's because they are slowly receding towards Lake Erie, where the entire river will be just a gorge as the current washes away the top level of limestone. The good news is that we can enjoy the most romantic spot on Earth for the next 23 to 50,000 years until that happens. This show was recorded live aboard La Belote with Gohagen Travel as we visited many of the places I've covered in this podcast. Stay tuned for a detailed look at Mackinac Island as our mega yacht continues in its five-lake tour. For ShipwreckPodcast.com, I'm Rick Mixter. <laughs>